How many of you guys know you're not normal? Show you more hands going up. And I don't want you to point fingers at other people because I'm talking to you. You're not normal. Or, or at least, or at least you, you probably shouldn't be. Um, this might sound odd, but this is an important idea as it relates to Christianity. Um, if you've been a Christian for a long time, if you hear you're not quite sure about being a Christian, this is important for us to understand. Us Christians, we're not normal. Um, now, some of you are saying, trust me, I know, I've been around church long enough, there's a lot of weird people out there. <laughs> and I identify with that, but that's not what I'm talking about. Um, we as Christians are not normal. We're, we should be outside the norm. There is this, there's this, this is an attractional motiva- motivation um, in our culture. It's this unique thing that's happened, I think, in our time. To say, oh, we're, we're like you. There's not much difference between us and you. you yeah, we're, it's pretty much the same thing. Like, it's, it's really close. Anybody else, everybody experienced that kind of thing? Where there's this whole idea to try and bring all of us kind of together, and it's not much difference between being Christian and not Christian. And I, and I, think, there's, I think we lose a real understanding of what we are as Christians when we try and work in that. In fact, I came across this uh, uh, humorous illustration uh, quote that I think uh, illustrates this pretty well. All humans have a natural desire says, to be accepted and liked by others. The way most people go about it is by being normal. There's nothing wrong with being normal, and nothing about being a Christian that will make it more difficult for the world to consider you normal. See, the world finds it completely normal to put your faith in a Jewish carpenter who lived 2,000 years ago. And to spend our time speaking to a powerful being who lives in a different realm, who we believe will answer our request. In fact, the world finds it incredibly normal to abstain from most of the things the world thinks is harmless fun and give 10% of our money away to our God in the sky. Why, there is nothing more normal on earth than being a Christian and believing that the world could end at any minute. So enjoy your normal status as a Christian. These have been deep thoughts from a shallow Christian. <laughs> Again, there is this drive in, in some Christian circles to, to blur the line between Christians and everyone else. And, and really, there, there, is no, there is no biblical or historical um, context for which to draw that idea. There, there is this, there is this very, there is this very clear understanding at the core of Christianity, and that is that the reality is that there is a strong distinction from those who aren't Christians and those who are. In fact, in fact, in fact, it, it should be a warning sign to us. It, it should seem weird to us. It should, it should, it should draw us to a place of correction if we look like everybody else. If there isn't a distinction. And this isn't something that this is something that I'm coming up with. Look at the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This is Jesus saying this. 
that you've been drawn out of it. I've drawn you out of it because you're different, because you are not normal. It's not simply people look at you, Jesus is saying people look at you and go, oh, that's different. He literally uses the word that they will hate you because I've drawn you out from them. And this is an idea that, that's been carried over through all of those who followed after Christ. You read, you read the writings of, of Peter in 1 Peter. And, and he says, we are sojourners, or we are aliens in this place. In fact, he goes as far in chapter 2 as to say that we are a peculiar people. How many of you guys think you're peculiar? His declaration of peculiar people means that, means that you're different, that you're out from, that you're peculiar, that it should be different, it should look different. John in 1 John tells us that we're not supposed to love this world or the things of this world. Paul writes in Romans and tells us not to be conformed to this world. I want you, I want you to think about that. I want, you, I want you to run down that list. Jesus tells us we're going to be hated. Peter says we're aliens, that we're peculiar. Paul says that we, that we are not to be conformed to this world. And John says that, and John says that we're not to love the things of this world. Those are some pretty big hitters in the Bible, aren't they? All of them come to the same conclusion that we as Christians are not normal. We're not like everyone else. We shouldn't be like everyone else. The Bible is really clear that we are not of this world, that we are not like this world, that we are not normal. Or at least we shouldn't be. Now, I know, now I know that there is something uneasy about embracing this truth. Uh, we, don't, we don't want to be treated differently. We, we don't want to stick out. Uh, there's a comfort, there's a security being accepted and embraced by the general population. I think every single one of us, when you, when you rub up against us, when you, when you find yourself in this place where people might look at you and think you're different because of, that's hard for us. I know each one of us at different points have probably been through that. And I can go through, maybe it was at school, maybe it was at, maybe it's at work, or, or maybe it's just hanging out with people in the neighborhood. I remember when I was in college, I went down to uh, went down to Bible College out in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And it, I'd be out and about, and you'd be at restaurants, and you'd be at the mall or whatever else, so you'd meet, you know, eight, I'm 19 years old, 18, 19 years old, and then you meet these girls there, and they find out you're from Milwaukee, and like, what are you doing here? Well, I'm here for school. What school do you go to? LSU was always my answer. <laughs> I didn't go to LSU. <laughs> but if I had said I went to Jimmy Swire Bible College, <laughs> I would not have been normal. Right? We, we find ourselves much more comfortable in a place in which we are accepted. Um... But when I look at the Christian experience in the Word of God, I discover that this distinction, this being different, the abnormality of the Christian commitment produces something that is deeply uncommon. Something that is worth being different over. Something that is worth embracing. Over the next few weeks, I, I want to walk you through some verses in, in the book of Galatians where, where Paul expresses how by embracing the not normal existence of Christian commitment... We are free to live an uncommon life. And we are free to create an uncommon community. I want you to open with me to Galatians chapter 5. 
And as you go there, I want you to understand that Paul is particularly in this passage confronting uh, an issue within the church of Galatia. Paul had gone to Galatia and he had, he had preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. He understood it as this grace work of Jesus himself, that, that we are saved by the grace that's been extended to us as a result of the work of Christ on the cross. And so he, the foundation of that church was that understanding. But after Paul left, there are those who began to weasel their way into leadership and they began to teach people that there are other ways, that you, there are other things that you have to do, there are other responsibilities upon you, uh, laid upon you, particularly in relationship to the old law, that you have to do to be saved. Specifically, one of those things was circumcision. They were coming in and saying, listen, yes, you've been saved by the work of Jesus Christ, but on top of that, if you're going to be a Christian, you need to follow the Jewish law of circumcision. And so Paul is coming in and he's saying, listen, guys, don't don't accept them. Don't embrace that because there is a reality that has been been found in your life as a result of the work of of Jesus Christ that you have to cling to, that you have to hold to, that has to be your foundation. He calls them to understand something very, very different. And so this is where we pick it up as he's talking to the church of Galatia. Start in verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Paul's declaration here is he's saying, listen guys, circumcision or uncircumcision, or what you can replace in there is he said, following the law or not following the law means nothing. Now this is, now this is the first point where, where Paul begins to confront normal thinking. We see, we see here that, that Paul is saying this idea, this idea that is genuinely, genuinely accepted, this, this idea of, of the acceptance of, of a moral, karmic view of righteousness is not true. In other words, Paul is saying that normally what we do is we come to this understanding that if I live righteous, that makes me righteous. If I follow a bunch of laws, that makes me right in relationship to the law. That if I do this, then I produce that. If I live this way, then I am that. That makes sense, doesn't it? That makes basic sense. That makes normal sense. That's kind of that, 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 that's, that's, that's a moral karmic understanding. If I do this moral thing, that makes me moral. And that makes sense, and that's what people get drawn, be drawn into under the law. But Paul is coming and saying, listen, it doesn't matter whether it's circumcision or uncircumcision. It doesn't matter whether you, you abide by the law or you don't abide by the law. It's not what you do that makes you righteous. Paul, it was Paul's position that the way of grace and the way of law were mutually exclusive. That they didn't, they didn't align with one another. The way of the law makes, makes salvation dependent on human achievement. The man who takes the way of grace casts himself and his sin upon the mercy of God through the work of Jesus Christ. Now this dependence doesn't, doesn't change us. Or does change us. It, it makes us different. See, what most people do is they look at it and they say, I've got to live this certain way. If I live this certain way, if I change the way I live, if I live in accordance with it, that makes me righteous. But Paul is saying, listen, no. It's not what you do or you don't do that makes you righteous. It's the work that Jesus Christ did in you. And that truth, that grace, salvation, should ultimately change you. This is what Paul says. 
He says the dependence upon grace doesn't leave you where you are, it changes you. He says neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. He puts an action there. He says, he says when you put your faith in God, it works through love in you. That your life does change, that your actions do change, that you work differently, that you look different. William Barclay explains it like this. He says, To Paul, all that matters was faith, which works through love. The Christian's faith is, is founded not on a book of laws, but on a person. Its dynamic is not obedience to any law, but love to Christ. The, the understanding here is that the governing nature is love to Jesus Christ, not law. That we don't change our lives because the law tells us to change our lives, but our lives are changed because of the love of Christ in us. This is really essential to understanding Christianity. This is really essential for us to understand truly what Christianity is. And I say this because there are so many people in the church and outside the church that don't understand this dynamic of Christianity, and it is foundational to Christianity. Listen, we live a certain way not out of fear, not out of obligation, not out of, out of guilt, but out of love. We, we live it out of the love that Christ has for us and the love we have for Christ. We don't sit here and say, I better do this or this will happen to me. We don't say, I ought to do this or this will take place. We say, Jesus Christ loved me deeply, and therefore I love him deeply, and therefore I want to live in a way that reveals that and shows that. This is important. Because this is the way in which Paul frames this entire conversation. He frames it all around the work of Christ in us, producing something different in us, based in an understanding of love. In fact, jump down to verse 13 to see exactly what I mean by that. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul here is trying to walk us, walk us to the truth of grace away from this karmic legalism of self-righteousness. And he, he's trying to walk us in this away from this adherence to a moral code to a deeper understanding of the work of Christ in us. Now Paul, particularly in this passage, is dealing with the legalism of Jewish religiosity. Particularly here, circumcision, eating laws, and those kinds of things. But Paul's presentation confronts not only righteousness by Jewish law, but righteousness by our moral acts. I do this, and that makes me moral. This challenge mirrors Paul's declaration, his famous declaration that we've all heard out of Ephesians chapter 2. It is by grace we are saved through faith, not of our works, lest anyone should boast. You remember that, right? You've heard that, right? This is Paul's foundational understanding that it is by grace we are saved, not the things that we do. It is salvation by grace through putting your faith in the work of Jesus Christ, not your works. This is foundational, fundamental Christianity that we have to grasp, that we have to take hold of. 
And I say that and I emphasize that and I keep pushing that because so many of us are still governed by this idea of legalism, by this idea of having to earn this, by this idea of having to be good enough for this. And it is simply in putting our faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as the one who is perfect and holy. It is trusting in the name of Jesus Christ for our salvation totally and completely. It is making Him Lord of our lives. And that's an important distinction even of itself. Listen, guys, it is not just embracing Jesus Christ as our Savior, but it is embracing Him as our Lord, that we follow Him, we follow His life, we follow His gospel. He is the one who rules and reigns, not me. This understanding has to be has to be grasped if you're going to really understand what it is to be a Christian. Now, for many, a theology of grace um, always poses a real danger. So many of us think that once we declare the end of the reign of law and the beginning of the end reign of grace, it always makes it possible for someone to say, well, then that means I can do whatever I want. That means I can live however I want. I can, I, I can, I can, I can fulfill whatever desires I want because, because there's grace and I'm always forgiven and so I can just kind of live however I want. So whenever you, whenever you touch on this idea of salvation by grace, everybody gets a little nervous because they think that's what we're giving permission to. But then this is the, the whole point of Paul's teaching here. What he says is the grace of Christ leads us, it inspires us, it calls us to live that uncommon life we've been talking about. To live a life that doesn't look like everyone else's, that isn't normal. And in turn, it allows us to then create an uncommon community. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. See, the logic of Galatians 5, 13 through 15 is simple. First, what's happening is Paul's establishing the foundation of the Christian life by, by re-emphasizing our freedom. You were called to freedom, brethren. He, this, what he was doing here is he, it's the reiteration of that, that first statement that he makes in verse 1 of this chapter. For freedom Christ set us free. Has ever heard that before? For freedom Christ set us free. I want you guys, I want you to hear, I want you to hear the, 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 the breadth of that declaration. I want you guys to hear the depth of that declaration. For freedom he set you free. He doesn't just say, he set you free. He's wanting you to get the depths of that freedom. He's wanting you to get the depths of what he's done in you. He has set you free so that you might live in freedom. He is trying to get you to understand the totality of the freedom that was bought when Jesus Christ died on the cross. The freedom he's speaking of, it is all-encompassing. It is freedom from the penalty of sin. It is freedom from the grip of sin. And it is freedom from the burden of the law that is self-righteousness. He's saying, listen, the penalty of sin is removed because of the work of Jesus Christ. Your, your, your desire for it, your, its hold on you, is able to be let, let loose because of the work of Jesus Christ. And you don't have to worry about being under the burden of doing this or doing that to be made right. You've been set totally free. 
It is for freedom you've been set free. This is the starting point of Paul's entire conversation. And then once we have that understanding, once, once you have that understanding of the freedom work of Jesus Christ, he lays out then a pathway to an uncommon life to live and an uncommon community to create. You see, our uncommon life is found when we don't use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. This is where we begin to see, yes, your life is different. Yes, your life is different. Yes, you don't live a normal life. Because we don't use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. He starts with the idea that we have a freedom. A freedom that was bought and purchased by the work of Jesus Christ. The freedom from the penalty of sin, the freedom from the work of sin, and the freedom from the burden of the law that is self-righteousness. You have a freedom granted and given by the work of Christ on the cross. I want you to hear that again. You have a freedom that was purchased and bought for you by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I re-emphasize that because that is so deeply important <clears throat> this entire conversation. It is where everything else flows from. Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God who never sinned, who never did anything to deserve the whip, who never did anything to deserve the nails, who never did anything to deserve the punishment and the pain that he endured, willingly went to the cross for your freedom. You understand your freedom was purchased, that you were once enslaved to sin. Your freedom was purchased, the Word of God says. And do you know what it was purchased with? The blood of Jesus Christ. Do you hear the price? Do you hear the depth of the price? I want you guys to bring that into your spirit and into your souls because it is in that understanding that everything else flows out. My freedom was not cheap. In fact, it was deeply expensive. Jesus Christ shed his blood that I may be set free from my sin. It is from that place that we find ourselves and we deeply understand that. When that, that deeply is set in our spirits and in our souls, it is from that truth and that reality that the rest of this life flows out. See, we follow, we follow ideas, we, we follow philosophies, we follow people for lots of different reasons, right? For many of us, we, we follow these ideas or philosophies or people because we believe at the end we'll get something good. A lot of us will work for, a lot of us will follow a jerk a long ways if we know at the end of that it'll be a million dollars waiting for us, right? A lot of us will, a lot of us will follow a philosophy we know it'll, it'll cause us to, to, to avoid pain, right? 
But once those things fade away, once there's no hope for the once there's no hope for the million dollars, once there's no threat of the pain, we stop following, don't we? But do you know what inspires the most loyalty, the most the most commitment? It is love and it is a sense of gratitude. When we know the price that has been paid, when we know that we have been deeply loved and cared for, we will follow to the end. We will be loyal. See, when we understand that Jesus Christ so deeply loved you, that he gave everything that you might have the life that you have, that you might have all that you are, it draws us to live an uncommon life. The life that's not like other lives. You see, Jesus Christ paid the price to set you free from sin. When you're truly gripped by the price paid to free us from sin, how can we venture back into it? How can we go back into that which Christ's blood purchased our freedom from? Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't go back. Don't, don't embrace those desires of the flesh. Christ's work freed you from the common, normal entrapments of this life. And if you're wondering what he's talking about, if you're wondering about what, what makes your life different, what makes your life not normal, he gets into it there later on in chapter 5. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I read this and it is so striking to me. When you read that list, doesn't it look like the world around you? I mean, you, you read that list and you can take it and you can superimpose it over the front page of our newspapers. You can superimpose it over, over the TV shows and, 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 the, and, and, and the reality shows that people watch. You can superimpose it all over, over all our social media. This is evident all over the place. And, and, it's, and it's not, there's a lot of us, we sit here and we go, oh yeah, orgies, yeah, we, we would never do that, right? But he doesn't get. He's not. Doesn't just get the big things there, right? He talks about. He talks about dissension and division and envy. Do you know how often we find those things in the church? Like the division that takes place in the church, the dissension that takes place between brothers and sisters in Christ. That should be something that that, that deeply disturbs us. That's normal out there. It shouldn't be normal here. There should be something about us that makes it different. There should be something about us that draws us closer. There should be something about what Jesus Christ did on the cross that makes us not normal. Listen, others may do that, he's saying. But there is an uncommon life for those who have been bought, for those who have been freed from the slavery of sin by the work of Christ. Don't be normal. Not because by not doing it, that, that, that by, by not doing it, by legalism, you find salvation, but because you celebrate the freedom you've been given by the work of Jesus Christ. 
I live free from sin. I live free from those desires. You see, there is a fullness and completion in the work of Christ when we are overcome by the truth of Christ's work and gift to us. There is nothing else needed. This is, this is what we mean when we talk about the idea of sin. Sin is chasing after those things in this flesh and in this life other than Jesus Christ as our hope, as our pleasure, as our enjoyment. It is finding our desires, our fulfillment in something other than Jesus Christ. It's turning your back on Him and chasing other things. It is the idolatry of the flesh. It is saying, He's no longer my God in this moment, but my flesh is. And we don't do that. We don't, and we don't abstain from it simply because we believe that it earns us our salvation. We are, we are full, we are complete in the work of Christ when we are overcome by the truth of his work and gift to us. There is nothing else needed. No place to earn, no identity for which, for which to strive, no acceptance or love needed to pursue. He did it all. It's complete. Somebody should be shouting there. Amen. He did it all. It's not what I do. It's what he's already done. There is an uncommon, not normal response to the desires of the flesh that should be evident in your life. We need to, in this moment, examine our hearts. And examining our hearts, we should be, we should be asking ourselves, how deeply do we love Jesus Christ? See, See, it's not about trying harder. It's not about doing this or living up to that. It's about being overcome by the love of Jesus Christ in your heart. It's about asking yourself, do you know the love of Christ and do you love him deeper? The pursuit of things outside of Jesus Christ for our fulfillment is evidence that we don't find our completion in Jesus Christ. And so, you, so you're not you're, you're not going to find that by by not doing that. You're going to find it by pursuing Jesus more deeply, by drawing you know closer to Him, by having a deeper love for Him and a deeper understanding of who He is. We need to examine our hearts. We need to examine our love for Christ. We need to examine the depth of our convic- conviction that Christ purchased our freedom. And when we come to the completion of that understanding, we will live an uncommon life. Don't be gripped by sin. Be set free to live on Christ. And then Paul lays out the path to an uncommon community. So we have on the one hand, when we discover who he is, when we discover his work, when we discover what he's done for us, it calls us, it bids us, it, it drives us to live a different life. And then when that is set in our hearts and our lives is a part of who we are, it causes us then to be able to create a different community. Because an uncommon community is created when through love we are servants of one another. See what he says, because it's really interesting. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
I want you guys to see, because, it, because you read over this, and you can read over and miss it, okay? But I want you guys to see the, the, uh, the connection, the direct connection between the two statements that are being made here. What I just read to you was that, 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 that through love, be a servant to one another. Now I want you to listen uh, and see what happens when you put these commands together with the first part of the verse. You were called to freedom through love, serve one another. Now what's, now what's being said here? What's being declared here? It's essentially saying, you were called to freedom from servanthood. Now in love, submit to servitude. Right? He's saying, listen, you guys were slaves to sin. You guys were, were in servitude to sin. Now he has set you free, and he set you free from that servitude to what? To serve others. It really is an interesting call, isn't it? He said, I want you to not be a slave to sin, but I want you to be a slave to serve others. This declaration reveals the very not normal nature of the life of being a Christian. You see, there is this idea in the world that, that the liberty to sin is freedom, and that servitude to others is slavery. There's, there's this idea in the world that says freedom means I can do whatever I want. I, can, I, I should be able to, 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 to feed whatever desires I have. That, that the free, I have the freedom to go. See, they look at you and they say, you as Christians, listen guys, I can do whatever I want. You as Christians, you guys are bound by your religiosity. Right, if, I want, if I want to sleep around, I sleep around. If I want to get drunk, I get drunk. If I want to get drunk, I get drunk. I do whatever feels good. I do whatever I want to do. I'm free. You guys are bound. <clears throat> the Christian, and in, in, in addition to that, they look at it and say that the, the drive of their hearts, the drive of their lives, the freedom, the expression of their freedom is doing what feels good for me. It's me. It's my desires. How many times do you hear you have to look out for who? Number one, right? That you got to make yourself feel good. you got to make yourself be all right. You gotta, it's all about you. It's all about, hey man, just do what feels good for you. <clears throat> you got to do what feels good for you. you got to do what fulfills what you want. you got to do what, feel, what fulfills your desires. Right? I'm not making this up, right? You've heard this, right? Culturally, that is what drives our society right now. And you see it in every single level. I can't tell you how many times I've had people come up to me and say, listen, I'm going to leave my wife or I'm going to leave my husband because God just wants me to be happy. I want you guys to hear this. I want you to understand. I've walked, I've walked through divorces with people and I understand that there are times in which there is deep issues and there are times in which there is a deep destruction that's taking place. And sometimes it's going to turn it. So I get it. But I'm telling you what I found as a pastor over and over and over again is the increase in the understanding that it's simply about me doing what makes me happy. And when you look at it, you say, well, listen, you got kids. You see what's going to take place in the lives of your kids? Oh, they're young. They'll adjust. So let me get this straight. The four-year-old, the five-year-old, the six-year-old need to adjust, but you, the adult, you can't adjust? 
We sacrifice what takes place in the lives of our kids because of selfishness, because our culture has taught us that it's about me and me and me and me. My needs, my desires, my wants being fulfilled. And they say that's freedom. But Paul's admonition to us, what makes us not normal, is that we have been set free from that. This declaration reveals the not normal nature of this life. The world sees freedom as doing as I please, doing what makes me feel good, fulfilling what my flesh desires. That existing to, to meet others' needs, to serve them, to sacrifice my wants and desires for others is bondage. But Paul is declaring that the natural outflow of freedom in Christ is servitude in love. The works of the flesh and the fruit of love are not two different optional ways to live in freedom. When you live according to the flesh, you are in slavery. But when you serve each other in love, you are in freedom. Why? Why is that the case? Because love, the servitude that comes out of love, is motivated by joy of sharing of your fullness. Sharing out of your fullness. The fullness that is received from the work of freedom brought by the work of Jesus Christ. The works of the flesh are motivated by the desire to fill our emptiness. It's interesting because the, the meaning of flesh in the book of Galatians is not the physical part of man, but it's man's ego, which feels a deep emptiness and uses the means within its own power to fill that emptiness. If it is religious, it, it may use law. If it is irreligious, It'll use, it'll use alcohol or sex. But what, one thing is sure, the flesh is not free. It is enslaved to one futile desire after another in its, em- in its effort to fill its emptiness. But it is an emptiness that only Jesus Christ can fill. So when Paul says in verse 13... Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. He means don't surrender the freedom that you have in the all-satisfying Christ to return to the unsatisfying desires of mere physical pleasure and self-exaltation. See, the works of the flesh are motivated by a desire to fill our emptiness, but love is very different. It is motivated by the joy of sharing out of our fullness. This is why 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 describes about love. It says, love does not seek its own. Love is already fulfilled. Love is complete. The individual has been full in Christ, and therefore they're not busy grasping after, reaching for, trying to take from others to fulfill their needs and their desires because they are already full in themselves because of the work of Jesus Christ in them. 
Their, 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 their fulfillment, their joy, their peace doesn't come from that acceptance. It doesn't come from receiving from that thing. It doesn't come from grasping after that. But it's already full. And so out of that fullness we share in love because I'm not waiting for you to give it to me or for that to give it to me. I already have it in Jesus Christ. This is why, why Paul makes this statement. And if you read it, it probably made, didn't make a whole lot of sense to you. But this is why he, makes, he finishes it with this statement. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. He's saying slavery of the flesh causes us to be self-satisfied, self-satisfiers at the expense of others. He's saying if, if you are continually driven by the flesh and not satisfied in the spirit by the work of Jesus Christ, what happens is we keep trying to we keep trying to reach for others, we keep trying to take from others, we keep trying to receive from others the fullness we haven't found in Jesus. And therefore, what we do is we damage other people and even cause destruction in people's lives. How many of you have seen that in the world around you? We use other people to try and fulfill our desires, to try and fulfill our longings. As a result, we we bite after people and we devour people. That's the community out there. He has called us to an uncommon community that is created when we love. Because when we are love, when we love, we are not enslaved to use things or people to fill our emptiness. Love is the overflow of our fullness. Love is the only behavior that we can do in freedom. When God frees us from guilt and fear and greed and fills us with his all-satisfying presence, the only motive left is the joy of sharing our fullness. When God fills the emptiness of our heart with forgiveness and help and guidance and hope, he frees us from the bondage to accumulate things and to manipulate people. I want you guys to understand that this uncommon community is what he calls us to. I think he calls us to it. I think that's what the church is supposed to be. I think that's how we're supposed to interact with one another. But I want you guys to understand that this is the uncommon community he calls our families to too. This is the uncommon community that we should have as husband and wives. That's why the, the, the marriage between a husband, a Christian husband and a Christian wife should stand out. It's why a, a Christian family should stand out. Because none of us are looking for our completion and our fulfillment and our joy in our spouse or in our children. We've already found it in Jesus Christ and because of that we are free to love. Even when your wife isn't perfect or your husband isn't perfect. Even when they may say things or do things because our completion is not in their acceptance. Our completion is in what Jesus Christ has done to us. We love so deeply and so completely. I'm telling you right now, if you are struggling in your marriage, if you are struggling as a parent with your children, I'm telling you right now, at the core of it is you're not understanding the fullness you have in Jesus Christ. Start there. Stop expecting from them what you should be receiving from Jesus. 
Stop reaching from them what you should be receiving from Jesus. He is your everything. Allow the joy that you have in Christ to overflow into love. You will create an uncommon community. John Piper describes it like this. When God is our portion, and we are truly free, then we will serve one another through love. Freedom flows forth in love just as surely as a bubbling spring flows forth in a mountain stream. This is an uncommon community that the church is supposed to be as it flows out of the uncommon life we're supposed to live. There is no more fulfilling way to live than to try daily on God's all-satisfying grace to let it flow through us to meet the needs of others. This is the uncommon life we live and the way in which we create an uncommon community that is the church. The good news is that love, which is an overflow of God's grace, is what we're supposed to love. All God was ever after through the law was people who were so satisfied by his grace that their lives spilled out his love. This is what keeps the church working as a gracious example of Christ's beauty. When we are overwhelmed by the nature of our freedom, inspired to, to respond in love towards others, this is what makes us not one.